Beloved Bhagwan, you should realize that the practice you cultivate doesn't exist apart from your mind. If your mind is pure, all Buddha lands are pure. The sutras say, if their minds are impure, beings are impure. If their minds are pure, beings are pure. And to reach a Buddha land, purify your mind. As your mind becomes pure, Buddha lands become pure. Thus, by overcoming the three poisoned states of mind, the three sets of precepts are automatically fulfilled. But the sutras say the six parameters are charity, morality, patience, devotion, meditation, and wisdom. Now you say the parameters refer to the purification of the senses. What do you mean by this? And why are they called fairies? In cultivating the parameters, purification of the six senses means overcoming the six thieves. Casting out the thief of the eye by abandoning the visual world is charity. Keeping out the thief of the ear by not listening to sounds is morality. Humbling the thief of the nose by equating all smells as neutral is patience. Controlling the thief of the mouth by conquering desires to taste, praise, and explain is devotion. Quelling the thief of the body by remaining unmoved by sensations of touch is meditation. And taming the thief of the mind by not yielding to delusions but practicing wakefulness is wisdom. These six parameters are transports, like boats or rafts, they transport beings to the other shore. Hence, they're called fairies. But when Shakyamuni was a bodhisattva, he consumed three bowls of milk and six ladles of gruel prior to attaining enlightenment. If he had to drink milk before he could taste the fruit of Buddhahood, how can merely beholding the mind result in liberation? What you say is true. This is how he attained enlightenment. 
he had to drink milk before he could become a Buddha. But there are two kinds of milk. That which Shakyamuni drank wasn't ordinary impure milk, but pure Dharma milk. The three bowls were the three sets of precepts, and the six ladles were the six parameters. When Shakyamuni attained enlightenment, it was because he drank this pure Dharma milk that he tasted the fruit of Buddhahood. To say that the Tathagata drank the worldly concoction of impure, rank-smelling cow's milk is the height of slander. That which is truly so, the indestructible, passionless Dharma self, remains forever free of the world's afflictions. Why would it need impure milk to satisfy its hunger or thirst? The sutras say, this ox doesn't live in the highlands or the lowlands. It doesn't eat grain or chaff and it doesn't graze with cows. The body of this ox is the color of burnished gold. The ox refers to Varochana due to his great compassion for all beings he produces from within his pure Dharma body the sublime Dharma milk of the three sets of precepts and six parameters to nourish all those who seek liberation. The pure milk of such a truly pure ox not only enabled the Tathagata to achieve Buddhahood, it enables any being who drinks it to attain unexcelled, complete enlightenment. I feel greatly sorry for the poor Bodhidharma. <laughs> he has got into trouble. <laughs> and this trouble was bound to arise. because he belongs to a tradition. Of Buddhism, and not only of Buddhism, 
but a sect of Buddhism, Mahayana, the great vehicle. Anybody who belongs to any tradition, any sect, any doctrine is bound to be in the same trouble as Bodhidharma is. Whatever he is saying is becoming more and more stupid and nonsense. And for the simple reason because he cannot say anything against the tradition. And he has been sent from India especially to make Buddhism more solidly grounded. That was the order of his own master, the enlightened woman Pragyatara, that I am sending you to China not to disturb people, but to establish Mahayana in the great land of China. Because if the whole China is converted to Buddhism, one-fifth of humanity is converted. Out of five people, one person is a Chinese in the world. That reminds me of a man who was reading a newspaper in which he read this, that out of five people, four people are of different countries, different races, different religions, but one is certainly a Chinese. He simply called his wife who was working in the kitchen and told her, have you ever realized that out of five people in the world one is a Chinese? She said, my God, it is better you told us because we have already four children. Now is the time for birth control, otherwise the fifth will be Chinese. It is one of the greatest land up to now. Only by the end of this century India will go ahead, will become more populated than China, otherwise for the whole history, China has been the most populated, the greatest land in the world. And if Buddhism 
is spreading like wildfire. It is time to give it solid foundation. So Bodhidharma has been specially sent as a messenger because six hundred years before Bodhidharma, thousands of Buddhist scholars have gone to China on the invitation of emperors to translate all Buddhist scriptures into Chinese, but not a single one was enlightened. Bodhidharma was sent especially to give a certain taste to people of what enlightenment is. They have heard the word, they are enchanted with the idea, a great longing has arisen in millions of people to attain to enlightenment, but they have not seen even an enlightened person. His presence, his silence, his compassion, they are absolutely unaware. It is only theoretical. Prajñatāra, sending Bodhidharma, had a certain specific purpose in her mind, to give China its first enlightened master. The trouble is that he cannot say anything against Mahayana. That will disturb all the new initiates into Buddhism. He cannot say anything against Gautam Buddha because nobody is going to listen to him. They are so much impressed with Gautam Buddha and his life and his teachings that just in six hundred years they have created thirty thousand temples and monasteries and two million people have been initiated as Buddhist monks, and the whole country has almost become Buddhist. They may not be monks, but they were laymen, but they had started the journey, and hoping one day they should also become monks. Five percent of the whole population of China has become monks. It was a tremendous time of upheaval, change, transformation. 
and bodhidharma i think had not realized the responsibility that he is taking upon his shoulders as far as superficial questions were concerned he was perfectly right and perfectly in tune with his own experience and when the ultimate questions started arising which are bound to arise sooner or later if he had declared that i do not know at the first ultimate question when he was asked from where ignorance comes if he has accepted his innocence if he had announced that i know from where awareness can be created but i don't know from where ignorance comes perhaps ignorance is forever there it never comes it is just like darkness have you ever seen darkness coming are going you always see light coming in and the darkness is not there you always see light going out and the darkness is there darkness is always there no coming no going it is the light that comes and goes darkness is simply the absence of light this would have been the perfect answer to the people that darkness has always been there there is no source for it because it is non existential only something that exists can have some source light has source in the same way awareness has a source consciousness has a source but unconsciousness is simply nothing but darkness and if he had stopped there he would have done a tremendous job of protecting himself from falling into all kinds of nonsense but he could not say i do not know because people were expecting for 3 years waiting the whole country the emperor wu included with great longing and desire that bodhidharma is coming the first enlightened person entering into china all our thirst will be quenched all our questions will be answered 
and his answers are not scriptural his answers are his own experience so he hesitated in saying that i don't know i am utterly innocent at the most i can say darkness has always been there ignorance has been always there there is no root to it it is rootless causeless because it is non existential that would have been my answer he could have told them i have come here to teach you how to get out of ignorance i don't know how you have entered into ignorance that is your business but rather than doing that he went into long theological descriptions and that allowed the disciples to ask more and more about things which he was perfectly capable of answering but then those answers were going to be against mahayana are even against gautam buddha so he is in a very difficult dilemma he knows what is right and he also knows what is traditionally right and he proved not as strong as i have always thought he could not prove himself to be a true revolutionary he could not go against the tradition and i will show you how he becomes mixed up and how he starts talking nonsense he has to just to console the traditional people just to keep in line with the orthodox theology this question also belongs to the same category and it falls into such idiotic answers that it becomes almost hilarious once in a while he is true but only once in a while most of the time what he is talking is irrelevant and i for one absolutely disagree with his answer 
द क्वेश्चन इज यू शुड रियलाइज दट द प्रैक्टिस यू कल्टिवेट डज नॉट एग्जिस्ट अपार्ट फ्रॉम योर माइंड This is true. Whatever you practice, you have to practice through the mind. Hence, enlightenment cannot be attained through practice. Because if enlightenment can be attained through practice, that will mean it is a byproduct of mind. just like any dream any hallucination any illusion any thought and just as thoughts disappear your enlightenment may disappear any moment i had one german sanyasin gunakar <laughs> who has become so many times enlightened that now he had stopped completely dropped the whole idea when he became for the first time enlightened <laughs> he has a beautiful castle in germany and a very beautiful scenic place and he declared to all the presidents and prime prime ministers and to all the ambassadors and to all the members of UNO about his enlightenment he wrote a letter he informed me also <laughs> said gunakar <laughs> just he has gone a week or two week before from here and i had not seen any sign that he is going to become enlightened so soon i informed him that just come back first i have to see so he came back and as he came back slowly slowly as he came closer to puna enlightenment disappeared <laughs> he became aware that this is stupid i don't know anything but in germany it was perfectly good because nobody understands what is enlightenment <laughs> when he declared i am enlightened people thought perhaps nobody has ever heard what this enlightenment is he may be and naturally nobody contradicted him but he became afraid and when he came in front of me he said just forgive me <laughs> I have become absolutely unenlightened again. <laughs> I said remember that whenever this desire 
arises in you before acting and he started writing letters to all world governments and ambassadors <laughs> and presidents that you have become enlightened if they want any advice <laughs> first you have to come here two years he remained silent and suddenly one day i received his letter again <laughs> he said bhagwan this time it has really happened <laughs> and i am coming i said okay come <laughs> and as he came to me he said just forgive me <laughs> this is very strange when i come here i become unenlightened and when i go back to germany the desire arises that now nobody is there who can even say that you are not enlightened why wait declare and the desire becomes so persistent it happened many times the last time i heard he has joined a commune and he was washing dishes there and somebody who was going to see me soon asked gunakar what are you doing have you ever heard any enlightened man washing dishes in a restaurant it was commune restaurant he said forget all about enlightenment let me just do my dishes and if you are going to bhagwan just tell him that i am not going to become enlightened at least not in germany <laughs> if i have to become enlightened i will become when i am close to you and i am feeling immensely joyful just washing the dishes and that enlightenment was such a torture <laughs> because he started just imitating me he closed himself in his castle on the mountain he will not come out of his room he will not meet with anybody he has a secretary and naturally he got unnecessarily tortured he cannot come out otherwise he will lose his enlightenment <laughs> he cannot meet people only the secretary and the secretary informs them that he is in samadhi 
he cannot see anybody don't disturb him he said i have suffered enough because of this enlightenment now i am enjoying life more as a dishwasher in the restaurant of the commune at least i can go out i can go to a movie i can go to the disco i can sing and dance that enlightenment was a very difficult thing <laughs> just remaining closed in one room enlightenment cannot come from the mind enlightenment can come only when the mind disappears in fact enlightenment is the light and mind is the ignorance enlightenment is the wisdom mind is the darkness if your mind is pure all buddha lands are pure i would like to correct it although it is a question but bodhi dharma does not correct it he accepts it as it is and starts answering it that means he participates with the fallacies of the question i would like to say if your no mind which means beyond purity and beyond impurity is the buddha land it is not the pure mind which is the buddha land even the purest mind is still mind and purity and impurity are a duality and buddha land has to be beyond the dual it cannot be one part of duality it has to be beyond both the sutras say if their minds are impure beings are impure if their minds are pure beings are pure up to now this is perfectly okay and to reach a buddha land purify your mind that is wrong because then what is the difference between good people and a buddha the pure mind is buddha land 
and people who are pure are pure beings so what is the difference in a good man and a buddha there remains no difference but there is a great difference hence i would like to put it and to reach a buddha land go beyond the mind go beyond purity and impurity both as your no mind becomes buddha land buddha becomes available to you these are my corrections thus by overcoming the three poisoned states of mind the three sets of precepts and automatically fulfilled but the sutras say that the six paramitas are charity morality patience devotion meditation and wisdom now you say the paramitas refer to the purification of the senses what do you mean by this and why are they called fairies the question is simple and significant the disciple is asking what are these six paramitas the word paramitas means that which takes you to the other soul a small ferry boat charity morality patience devotion meditation and wisdom these are the six ferries that can take you beyond this soul to the further soul to your real home it is a simple question he has just to define what is charity and what is morality and what is patience and what is devotion and what is meditation and what is wisdom but rather than giving a simple definition of these beautiful words 
he goes in a very strange answer. In cultivating the paramitas, purification of the six senses means overcoming the six thieves, casting out the thief of the eye by abandoning the visual world is charity. Now one cannot conceive of something more nonsense. <laughs> Just listen it again. <laughs> Casting out the thief of the eye by abandoning the visual world is charity. By renouncing and abandoning the world that is available to the eye, the only way is to be blind. Otherwise, how can you abandon? You can go to the mountains, but the visual world will be there. You can go in a dark cave, but darkness is also visual. You see it. And in fact, even blindness will not help unless you are born blind. Because a man who is born blind cannot see even dreams. He has no idea of anything. You may never have thought about it. Do you think a blind man can see a railway train in his dream? Or a starry night? in his dream, are a beautiful woman in his dream, are a rose flower in his dream, impossible. Because he has never seen these things, dreams are only reflections. What you have seen in actual life, dream can reflect them. The most surprising thing is that almost everybody thinks that the blind man lives in darkness and that is wrong because darkness is also a visual phenomenon. You have to see it. The blind man has no eyes, he cannot see darkness even. Light is far away. If he can see darkness, then you cannot prevent him from seeing light. And if he can see in dream things, he is not blind. The born blind sees nothing. Just as the born deaf hears nothing. But what you can do, you have eyes, how can you abandon? There was in India a poet who has been worshipped by Hindus as a great saint, 
सूरदास who saw a beautiful woman he had gone to beg he was not aware who is inside the house just he knocked on the door and a beautiful woman opened the door and suddenly a desire a fancy for her arose in his being it is natural it is nothing wrong if you can enjoy a beautiful flower why can't you enjoy a beautiful face but religions are very much against all pleasures it seems all religions have been founded by messages torture yourself the more you torture yourself the more you become spiritual surdas became so much guilty and he has done nothing just the face was so beautiful that it is natural a great appreciation arose in him but it is against the religious precepts he destroyed his both eyes and he became blind and because of this blindness he is worshiped for centuries as a great saint but do you think by destroying his eyes he would have stopped dreaming just the wise verse now he will dream more and more of that beautiful face the face that was beautiful will become more beautiful more fancy in his dreams and this is the meaning of charity charity simply means an unconditioning sharing it has nothing to do with eyes and nothing to do with visual world and its abandonment it simply means you have something you should enjoy to share it don't be a miser don't hold on it because this whole life is going to end one day 
and you will not be able to take with you anything. So while you are alive, why not share as much as you can? Things which can be taken away any moment, it is better that you share them and it is a great joy to share. And the man who learns the art of sharing is the richest man in the world. He may be poor, but his inner being has a quality of richness that even emperors may feel jealous. I have always loved a small Sufi story. A poor man, very poor, a woodcutter, lives in the forest in a small hut. The hut is so small that he and his wife can sleep. That much space is in the hut. One dark night in the middle, it is raining hard. Somebody knocks on the door. And the wife is sleeping close the door. The husband said to the wife, open the door, the rain is too much. And the man must have forgotten his way. It is a dark night and the forest is dangerous and full of wild animals. Immediately open the door. The wife was reluctant. She said, but there is no space. And the man laughed. He said, this is not a palace of a king. Where always you will find a shortage of a space. This is a poor man's hut. Two can sleep well, three can sit. A space we will create. Just you open the door. And the door is open, the man comes in. And he is very grateful. And they all sit. And they start talking and gossiping and telling stories to each other. The night has to be somehow pass because they cannot sleep, there is no space. And just then another knock and the man, the new guest was now sitting by the side of the door and the owner of the hut said, friend, open the door, somebody else has lost. And the man said, but you seem to be very strange fellow. There is no space. He said, this was the argument of my wife too. If I had heard to her argument, 
you would have been in the forest, eaten by the wild animals. And you seem to be a strange man that you cannot understand. We are sitting just because of you. We are tired of the whole day. I am a woodcutter. The whole day I cut the wood and then sell it in the market and then hardly we can get one time food. Open the door and this is not your hut. If three persons can sit comfortably, four persons can sit a little close by, a little less comfort. But we will create the space. Naturally he has to open the door, although reluctantly. And a man enters and he is very grateful. Now they are sitting very close, there is not even a single inch space left. And then suddenly a strange knock, which does not seem to be a man. There was silence, all the three, the wife and the two guests, are afraid that he will say, open the door. <laughs> and he said it, that open the door. I know who is knocking. It is my donkey. <laughs> In this wild world he is my only friend. I carry my wood on that donkey. He remains outside, but it is raining too much. Open the door. And now it was the fourth guest to be allowed. And everybody resisted and they said, this is too much. And where the donkey is going to stand? This man said, you don't understand. It is a poor man's hut. It is always spacious. Right now we are sitting. When the donkey comes in, we will all be standing. And we will keep the donkey in the middle so he feels warm and cozy, and loved. They said, it was better to get lost into the jungle than to be caught in your hut. But now nothing can be done when the owner says, open the door, the door is open, and the donkey comes in. The water is dropping from all over his body and the owner takes him in the middle and tells all others to stand around. And he said, you don't understand, my donkey is 
of a very philosophical mind. You can talk anything, he never disturbs. He always listens silently. I have loved this story that says that the emperor's palaces are always sort of his face, although they are so big. The house of the President of India has one hundred rooms with attached bathrooms, one hundred acres of garden, this used to be the Viceroy's house and still they have separate guest houses. What these hundred rooms are doing there, one wonders. I have been once there because one of the presidents, Jakir Hussain, was interested in me. He was a vice-chancellor of Aligarh University. And when he was the vice-chancellor, I had spoken in Aligarh University. And he was presiding. He loved whatever I had said. When he became the president, and he came to know that I am in Delhi, he invited me to come. And he took me around. I asked him what purpose these one hundred rooms are doing. He said, they are just useless. In fact, to maintain them, one hundred servants are needed for the maintenance of this big garden, one hundred acres, one hundred rooms. And in front you see two big buildings. They are guest houses. And each guest house must be having at least twenty-five rooms, not less than that. I said, this is absolutely wastage. In how many rooms you sleep? He said, in how many rooms? I sleep in my bed. I am not a monster that I will spread myself into many rooms, head in one room and the body in another and the legs in another. But then I said, these hundred rooms which are simply empty, fully furnished, mm. 
with everything that a man needs is available, they should be put to some use. But this is the situation around the world. The emperors have big palaces and still there is no space. They are always making new palaces, new guest houses. And the poor man said that it is a poor man's hut, there is no is of a space. We will manage. And they managed. The night passed beautifully, although they had to stand up. But it is beautiful to share whatever you have. Even if you don't have anything, you can find something in your nothing also to share. Charity is sharing. What Bodhidharma is saying is simply nonsense. Keeping out the thief of the ear by not listening to the sounds is morality. Have you ever heard such a definition? Not hearing the sounds, not hearing the music is morality. Then killing a man or raping a woman are not immoral. Listening to music is immoral. Listening to the birds in the trees in the early morning is immoral. My feeling is that because he got entangled with the ultimate question and lied, he has lost hold. His grip and he is trying now to make all kinds of definitions which are absolutely meaningless and absurd. Humbling the thief of the nose by equating all smells as neutral is patience. He is really original. <laughs> I have read thousands of books on morality, on virtues like patience, but I have never come across that it is a question of nose, not <laughs> of you.
if you can equate all smells as neutral a rose flower and cow dung smell like the same you are patient hell to such patience <laughs> this is simply insanity insensitivity a man of intelligence will become more sensitive the poet sees the greens of the trees differently than you see he sees them more greener he sees not only just green trees he sees different shades of green his sensitivity for color is very acute sharp the musician hears sounds even in silence his ears are so attuned and the same about other senses but he is really making a laughing stock of himself controlling the thief of the mouth by conquering desires to taste praise and explain is devotion if you can eat the most delicious food and the holy cow dung without making any difference this is devotion my whole life i have been trying to define devotion Bodhidharma knows better. <laughs> Quelling the thief of the body by remaining unmoved by sensation of touch is meditation. If somebody touches you and you don't feel it, <laughs> you are in meditation.
if somebody touches you and you don't feel it, you are simply dead. <laughs> it is not meditation. But he has done a great job. And the people who have been listening him must have wondered, from India an enlightened man has come. We have also heard, those Chinese have also heard much about meditation, but this is really original. They have also their own Lao Tzu and Chuang Tzu and Li Tzu, contemporaries of Gautam Buddha, of the same caliber, knowing what meditation is. And he is trying to make a definition almost unbelievable. Just he has lost his nerve. When the ultimate question was asked, that was the point from where he started falling. And he forgot everything. Now he is trying to make up in any way, patching up this hole, patching up that hole, and new holes are <laughs> coming up and he is running hither and hither and he cannot make any sense what he is doing and taming the thief of the mind but by not yielding to delusions but practicing wakefulness is wisdom. Only this one seems to be a little sensible. Just a little, not much. <laughs> because wakefulness cannot be practiced, he himself has said it before, that it is an spontaneous phenomenon. You cannot practice it. Anything practiced will be practiced by your mind. Who is going to practice it? You have your body, you can practice yoga, you have your mind, you can practice meditation, wakefulness. But anything that comes from body will go with the body and anything that comes from mind will go with the mind they will not be able to go with you when death takes away everything. Something has to happen in you which is not part of the body, not part of the mind, something which has no roots in body-mind structure and wakefulness is Awareness, witnessing, 
from far away to all the activities of the mind and the body, then wakefulness will go with you. Even when the body and mind are taken away by death, wakefulness cannot be taken away by anyone. So that's why I say just a little bit. At least he is not making too much of an idiot of himself. These six paramitas, that which takes you beyond, are transports like boats or rafts, they transport beings to the other shore, hence they are called fairies. But when Sakyamuni was a bodhisattva, he consumed three bowls of milk. Now this is going to be... <laughs> the last imaginable... <laughs> madness. The disciple is asking, but when Sakyamuni was a bodhisattva, he consumed three bowls of milk and six ladles of gruel prior to attaining enlightenment. If he had to drink milk before he could taste the fruit of Buddhahood, how can merely beholding the mind result in liberation? Because Bodhidharma is getting eccentric, <laughs> the disciples are also starting asking questions which ordinarily they would not have asked. But now everything is okay. <laughs> it is true that Buddha has consumed three bowls of milk. But that does not mean that because of those three bowls of milk he became enlightened. One has to do something before enlightenment. <laughs> that does not mean that it is a condition That's what the disciples are asking. That if he had to drink milk before he could taste the fruit of Buddhahood, how can merely beholding the mind result in liberation? First one has to drink <laughs> three bowels of milk. And you are telling us, just 
to watch the mind and you will become liberated. What about those three bowels of milk? And this is not only with Bodhidharma, this is the case with all religious scriptures, commentaries. They come to points where you can simply are shocked that these people, can't they see a simple thing that it was just incidental? He was hungry. And somebody offered the milk. But what the disciples is asking can be forgiving. They are disciples, ignorant. But the answer is, really great. <laughs> the disciples are nothing before the answer. The answer is, what you say is true. This is how he attained enlightenment. He had to drink milk before he could become a Buddha. But there are two kinds of milk. <laughs> this is... something that you cannot go beyond. I used to think there is a limit to stupidity, but there is none. What he is saying, that there are two kinds of milk. That which Sakyamuni drank was not ordinary impure milk, but pure dharma milk. <laughs> not just ordinary milk, religious milk. And what is religious milk? Nobody has ever heard about it. People have heard about powdered milk. <laughs> and all other kinds, but dharma milk? How milk can be religious? The three bowels were the three sets of precepts, and the six ladles were the six paramitas. When Sakyamuni attained enlightenment, it was because he drank this pure dharma milk that he tasted the fruit of Buddhahood, to say that the Tathagata drank the worldly concoction of impure, rank-smelling cow's milk 
is the height of slender. That which is truly so, the indestructible, passionless dharma self remains forever free of the world's afflictions. Why would it need impure milk to satisfy its hunger or thirst? On the one hand, we have seen in many sutras Bodhidharma is saying again and again that your intrinsic being is always pure. There is no way to make it impure. And now to become aware of your self-nature, that's what Buddhahood is. You need a very special kind of milk, dharma milk. <laughs> and how this dharma milk is created, he gives the whole description. The sutras say, <clears throat> this ox does not live in the highlands or the lowlands. The first thing to remember is, it is not a cow. <laughs> because a cow is a woman, female. And you cannot expect from a female dharma milk. <laughs> dharma milk comes only through males. <laughs> you should send this sutra to Murarji Desai. <laughs> it supports his ideology. He is drinking the dharma milk every day. <laughs> milking and drinking and milking and drinking. His own milk. I think he has attained more virtue than any Buddha. This ox is not a mistake. Because before it he uses the word cow. When he is condemning the milk, he is saying to say that the Tathagata drank the worldly concoction of impure, rank-smelling cow's milk. So he knows perfectly well the difference between cows and ox. 
this ox does not live in the highlands or the lowlands it does not eat grain or chaff and it does not graze with cows because even to graze with cows there is a possibility dharma milk may get impure the body of this ox is the color of burnished gold the ox refers to virochana due to his great compassion for all beings he produces from within his pure dharma body the sublime dharma milk of the three sets of precepts and six paramitas to nourish all those who seek liberation the pure milk of such a truly pure ox not only enable the tathagata to achieve buddhahood it enables any being who drinks it to attain unexcelled complete enlightenment this is really very discouraging where you are going to find this dharma ak that reminds me about a hindu monk very famous and i was traveling with him to participate in a hindu conference and we stayed in the same house he used to drink only milk that was his only great spirituality otherwise i could not see three days i have been with him i could not see any intelligence except that he used only milk and that milk has to be of a white cow absolutely white cow when i heard this i asked him that just i should not interfere in your great discipline but i cannot resist my temptation because i have never seen even a black cow giving black milk <laughs> milk is always white so how are you be worried if a cow has a dot just a small dot black or brown or anything that is cancel in the morning many cows were brought for the saint to see and to look all around whether they are absolutely white or not and when he accepted some cow that this is absolutely white then a man has to take bar with clothes on 
and with those wet clothes on he has to milk the cow in front of the saint so no impurity or anything wrong goes with the milk in 3 days i got so tired of his idiotness but i had not heard about bodhi dharma before otherwise i would have told him that what you are doing is absolutely right only one thing is wrong that you drink the milk of the cows you should drink the milk of the ox white ox but even a white ox milk will not be white it will be yellow but to attain enlightenment one can do any austerity this is a great discipline bodhi dharma has simply made himself utterly a fool while the things were simple to explain but it is not with one religion with every religion the same problem again and again arises the janatirthankara mahavira became enlightened in a certain pose which is very strange because in that pose you rarely are found in yoga that posture is called cow milking posture in india machines are not used men sit on a tripod and milk the cow but what mahavira was doing because he was not milking a cow certainly and without milking a cow why he should sit in the posture of milking a cow that can be done only for one reason <laughs> and i will not tell you the reason you can ask murarji desai that you are doing perfectly just remember sit in the right cow milking pose collect the milk and drink and enlightenment is sure Now, after Mahavira Janamans have been thinking, one cannot become enlightened because 
to sit in that posture is very difficult. You cannot sit long enough. And it is a very strange posture. And to meditate one needs to sit in such a way that one is relaxed, at ease. It is a very tense posture. But what is accidental? People start making it as if it is a cause, as if that posture is a necessity for enlightenment. Nothing is a necessity for enlightenment, because enlightenment is uncaused by anything that you can do. Enlightenment happens only when you are absent, so utterly silent that it is not your doing. You cannot brag that this is my enlightenment, that I have done it. When enlightenment happens, you can simply say, I was not. And because I was not, I was so silent, so absent, just a pure nothing, only a receptivity, that it happened. It came from the beyond. Just as sun rays come to the flowers and they open their petals. Something from the beyond comes into you and your lotus opens its petals and releases all its inexhaustible fragrance. But there is no cause. Cause and effect are scientific terms they don't have any significance in the mystery of your inner life. There is nothing cause, nothing effect. The Buddhahood, the enlightenment, the awakening, the liberation is already there. It is not to be created, hence no cause is needed. It has only to be looked at. You have just to turn your eyes inward and see it. It is a discovery. It has been there for millennia. So you can do it 
any moment just a small thing which is not a cause you just open your eyes inwardly and that's what i call meditation mind opens outside meditation opens inside mind is a door that leads you outside in the world meditation is the door that leads you to your interiority to the very innermost shrine of your being and suddenly you are enlightened enlightenment is always sudden it is never gradual and bodhidharma knew it his own enlightenment was a sudden experience but just not to contradict the tradition not to annoy the people not to make people enemies he compromised i condemn this compromise categorically a man of his genius should not have compromised on any ground even if the whole buddhism in china had disappeared nothing was lost but bodhidharma compromising has destroyed his own integrity his own sincerity his own authority he has become a pygmy actually he was a giant okay yes bhagwan
Thank you.